Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of FF Plus, your outlet for spoiler-free movie reviews and more. Today, Patrick and I are sitting down with Thomas Bazooka, director and screenwriter of the film Let Him Go, starring Kevin Costner, Diane Lane, and Leslie Manville. It's a film that has grown on me over the course of two viewings. Patrick and I discussed it along with Coles at the end of 2020 when the film released in theaters, but I have come to just really appreciate this movie. I'd say it's probably one of my, I don't know, top 25 or so favorite films of the year. It's a slow burn thriller that once you are aware of the themes that it is exploring, becomes all the better. And so when you go into it expecting something different, it can kind of cause a different reaction. And that's one of the things we end up mentioning to Thomas during this interview. Uh, hopefully you will enjoy this and we'll get right to it. Well, hello, Thomas. Thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Thanks, Aaron. We're excited to get a chance to talk to you about this film. We covered it back in the fall when it had its theatrical mm -hmm. release. It did actually get into some theaters briefly. <laughs> it did. <laughs> it did. Yeah. yeah. And we have had a great time getting to revisit it for this interview. And so we're anxious to hear some more about it from your specific perspective. Yeah. So the film is Let Him Go, and it follows a retired sheriff played by Kevin Costner and his wife, Diane Lane, as they grieve over the death of their son while setting out to rescue their only grandson from a dangerous off-the-grid family in Montana. That's kind of the synopsis that you can get if you want to read it online, of course. First and foremost, we want to dig into this because it's kind of the biggest thing is this is an adaptation of a novel by Larry Watson written in 2013. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know, was this your idea to adapt the novel? And specifically, once the idea came to fruition, what was it like getting a studio to agree to acquire the rights to the film and mm -hmm. do whatever is needed to actually adapt a book into a movie. Yeah, it it was my idea. I have been a fan of Larry Watson, the author forever. He wrote a book, wonderful book. People should look up uh, Montana 1948. And so I had followed him for a long time and I, and I picked, just picked, let him go up off the bookshelf at Barnes and Noble and read it and thought, I had an idea of how to do it. And so then worked with this Paula Mazur is another producer on the movie who I had worked with on, I adapted a novel, the Guernsey literary and potato peel side beside peel society for her. I'm so glad that you have trouble saying it. Because oh my God. <laughs> it makes dude. me feel so much better. I'm out of, pra I'm out of practice. At, <laughs> at one point I could just, but, uh, Anyway, so I had done that book with her and we had a great time working together. And so she was really sort of, we were looking for something to do together. And we were lucky enough to meet with Focus Features who made the movie. And my three things were, it's that I'm not going to change from the book, were it's period, it's we're going to build a house and burn it down. <laughs> And spoiler alerts, and it ends the way it ends. And if you have a problem with any of those things, we'll move on to somebody else. And they were like, no, we're, we're totally on board. So, you know, but then I did change the book takes place in 1951. And I moved it to 1963. Because that felt like a turning point for America that Kennedy is assassinated at the end of 63. And 
it felt sort of like America's fall from grace. And I liked that that sort of dovetailed with the story. Yeah, so, you know, there are different challenges making a period movie, but I knew that the story would fall apart if you had Google and if you had cell phones, that it would be too easy to find the family in North Dakota. Yeah, and, you know, I think that adds the advantage to it because you're not having to compete with modern types of things. To simplify the setting is to focus on the crux of the story. And, you know, the film definitely has a neo-Western feel to it, a genre that both of us are particularly fond of. And Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to know that going in because they might expect more action than they get from the explosive trailers. It's a real, it's a drama first and then a thriller next. Yeah. And we wonder, how do you approach deciding on the tone and style you go with for telling this story? Obviously, the book has an influence, but are there other things that go into that when you're directing or as you're starting to kind of craft the scenes and whatnot? It's interesting. You know, the thing that I loved about the book, I mean, it's, it's for, for me, it, it's, it's sort of what you're getting at is like we sold it. This trailer is action, action, action. It looks like, you know, Mon Pa Kent in Taken, number five. And what was interesting to me was I liked the the predicament they're in was horrible, um, having to rescue their grandson. But for me, it was always this love story between with this long married couple and each of them struggling, struggling individually and as a couple to come to terms with the loss of their grown son. And then, you know, the question, how far will you go to for your family? But the tone was I definitely wanted they're sort of this, they have this idyllic life in the beginning and death visits the farm in this, you know, the black horse that throws their son. And then I always said it was like, Mr. I don't know if anyone will understand the reference, but Mr. and Mrs. Bridge go to hell is what it felt like to me (laughs) that you, it's sort of these wholesome people, these people that are decent who suffer a loss and in Margaret, the Diane Lane character, in her, she's so consumed by grief and for her son, she's so in mourning that she is sort of blinded by that and is focused on reclaiming this grandson at a terrible price. You mentioned the burning down of the house. That's actually something I think that does what this question I'm going to ask actually is about. And that's you know, how did you make it cinematic? Because it is a fairly simplistic drama. And from a set perspective, you don't really go to a lot of places. There's a couple of street shots, some landscapes, and the inside is of some buildings, like a house and a a hotel room for the most part. How do you Mm -hmm. make that compelling to viewers so that they're not getting bored with just being on these kind of, I don't want to use the word bland, but they're not flashy set pieces because of the setting and because of where they're at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I worked with Guy Godfrey was the director of photography on this and he has a certain style and it's, it's sort of, everything is a little muddy. Like there, you always, one of the things I love about his work is you always understand where somebody is in context to other people that there are no clean frames. Um, There's always some context, but my approach to this was and I think it's you're talking about neo westerns. What it felt like to me was the movies I loved in the late seventies, 
and like Badlands or that sort of thing. And so my strategy was to make the movie with the technology we had then. So there are no drone shots. There's nothing that really draws attention to itself. It's I wanted something that was sort of very pared down and very sort of handmade and had some humility to it, um, like Margaret and George themselves. And I also, I felt like, like all the driving stuff, I was like, we're going to do that. We're going to mount on the car or we're going to be free driving, but we're not going to do any green screen nonsense. Cause I just, that felt like a betrayal of sort of just the integrity of the story, how simple it is and burning down the house you cannot imagine the number of conversations I had to suffer through where people would tell me what you can do with computers and how amazingly realistic it looks. And I just was so determined because that fire has an emotional component to it. And if you knew, and I know the human eye registers real flames as opposed to CGI stuff, if you registered that as being phony, you wouldn't feel anything emotionally. And so that was the big reason for that. Well, I'm glad you said that because it definitely felt like an honest movie. It felt like we were watching the story play out and I can't compare myself to these people because I've never experienced this. Mm -hmm. I didn't live in that time period, but you feel like you're watching your drama, but you're watching almost like a biopic play out or Mm -hmm. even a documentary without the the voiceover narration necessarily. And it really starts with Kevin Costner and Diane Lane, Aaron and I are huge fans of mm-hmm. Man of Steel and we love this oh. couple relationship. And yeah. we, I'd see them on screen and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to Clark Kent in this movie? And, right, right. and we wondered, how did they get attached to this mm-hmm. film in particular? And did the chemistry in something like Man of Steel help influence mm-hmm. their chemistry in this movie? Were there things that were pulled from that for this one? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question. Well, first of all, it's sort of because it, it just to finish the last bit, because I, I like that you responded to the way it's made, sort of the honesty of it. The trick was always that you we had to be inside George and I, George and Margaret's experience. Like there's no scene where at the Wee Boys, just with the Wee Boys, that it really is their experience of the story. And you're on the ground with them every step of the way. Like you're never ahead of them. Diane, I got to meet very early on. I had just finished the script and she really leaned in. And I give this woman, this movie star, all credit for wanting to play a grandmother and wanting to have gray hair and look like a woman of 54 years in Montana. And she had a real take on Margaret's grief and her determination. And I, on my way to meet her for lunch, did what we all do and Googled and YouTubed sort of recent stuff. And I'm going to make my confession, which is I've never seen the Man of Steel movies. Still? No, still. Oh, wow. But I found a little clip on YouTube of them doing a part, sort of a press junket for Man of Steel. And so it's the two of them sitting in chairs side by side. And there was just something about their body language. And he was sort of taking care of her. And I thought that's chocolate and peanut butter tastes good together kind of thing. And 
So then, so I think that they, you know, my, my, the advantage I had was that they had worked together before, so they weren't strangers. But then the other big benefit we had was we had about a week's rehearsal, just the two of them, because I wanted so many of their scenes together have no dialogue. And so it's, it was really choreographing and figuring out this um, nonverbal communication that they have, which is some of the, it's the most satisfying stuff in the movie to me. Because you really, I wanted them to feel like they'd been married for 30 years and I buy it. Yeah, we buy it too. We kept wondering when Clark was going to show up and save the day. This movie would have been a lot shorter had that happened, right? Right, right. right. Uh, Speaking of nonverbal and great body language acting, which is something I personally gravitate toward as well Mm. in a lot of films. I mean, I think Mm. it can be easy to speak, act, but when you have to do it in front of a camera with nothing but your mannerisms and Mm -hmm. very subtle glances, and you're right, Diane Lane kills it in this film. I mean, they, they all do, actually, including... Leslie Manville, who mm-hmm. I think is such a scene stealer in she gets I mean, to do most of the talking. Yes, no kidding. Yeah, and you're not gonna try and stop her in this movie. Yeah. Um, but how did she get on board? Because she plays the Wee Boy family matriarch, and she is as quietly terrifying as any character mm-hmm. I saw on screen in 2020. Mm-hmm. And I think that the dynamic of strong female matriarch characters, the duality that's going on there between what her character is doing and what Diane Lane character is doing is really intriguing. And and just how did you get her to do this and kind of craft that villain vibe? But it's not, you know, you could, you could find some empathy for that family if you really tried. Sure. Well, you know, it's, I mean, it's the way I work as a writer, just thinking of the characters. And I think it would, Leslie would sort of say the same thing about playing Blanche is, you know, there's a version of the movie where Blanche is the hero. Like we're all the heroes of our own lives. This couple comes into my house and they want to take this kid and I have to fight. What was always interesting to me, uh, also I love the Blanche character in the book, like in the movie, she's funny. She has a sense of humor that, you know, I don't know if Margaret Blackledge is the funniest person I've ever met. Like if I have to, if I were going to go have a a bottle of wine with somebody, it might be Blanche. (laughs) But what I also liked was that they, the, the, the matriarch thing, the duality you're talking about was a very conscious thing and that they're, you know, kind of the same character, Margaret and Blanche. They're two sides of one coin. And, you know, there's a dark face and a light face and they both want exactly the same things they're both determined one's completely insane and the other one's just a little less insane but anyway but leslie i knew from phantom thread she's unbelievable in that and then i knew her from all these mike lee movies and if people want to check one out another year is one of she's spectacular in that and i just knew she could do anything well, the title of the film could be interpreted multiple ways, very yeah. simple. And mm-hmm. we love simple titles, especially when we try to put them as a podcast episode because it makes it just easy. But yeah. depending on who you who you view the film, him as, it's, it's it can be somewhat ambiguous. Mm-hmm. How do you see this duality represented in the themes of the film? No, I think it changes. I think by the end, there are three hymns, right, to let go and... What I loved about the title is it's a directive, you know, let him go. And Diane's character is fighting that. She doesn't want to let 
him go. But then it's also a directive, you know, it could be her saying it to the wee boys about the grandson. So Diane and I talked about it a lot. What we loved is nobody in the movie ever, nobody ever, I think somebody does say, it, it's an inadvertent thing. Lorna at the coffee shop says they'll never let him go. But that's the only time you ever hear all the words together. Yeah, it really is. And it all comes in to this great ending that you talked about. And mm. and it is like Patrick mentioned, you know, it's a drama that sort of builds and builds and builds to this explosive kind of confrontation that you you know is coming. I'm not giving anything away, spoilers. Yeah, like yeah. You, you're going to know it's coming from the moment these two families come into contact with each other. Yeah. And we really get to experience that firsthand. And I wondered if, is there a lesson that you want people to get out of this film? Like, it, it, so obviously you're making films for entertainment purposes, but mm -hmm. you clearly responded and resonated with the book first and mm -hmm. the story itself. So what is it that, audiences should be walking away and thinking about when they leave this past the point of just, Hey, I had a good movie experience. Who am I to tell anybody what they should? Here's what you should have learned from this. I don't know what hooked me was their predicament. And, you know, I also, I had read the book at about the same time. I saw this movie that it is spectacular documentary called dear Zachary, a letter to a son about his father, which is about a young man who's murdered and his parents, it's a, it's a tough movie. His parents have to befriend, not befriend, but interact with his murderer because she had his child. And it's the only way they can be near their grandchild is to interface with the woman who killed their son. And if we're all apportioned, a bit of grief or loss in this life, this couple got three quarters of a pie. It's like, you don't even understand how they're able to walk. And that was sort of, I think I was tenderized to the land, emotional landscape of George and Margaret from that. It's uncommon, I think, for couples to endure a loss of a child. And I was interested in how the Kevin character and Diane's character are each navigating their own grief and then how they do it with each other. And, you know, I don't think that's a lesson to learn, but that was the landscape, I, the emotional landscape I was interested in exploring. Yeah, more of an experience for people to go yeah. through with the characters and yeah. kind of get a sense of what, how awful that might be or wonder what yes. they might do. In that you situation. know, I guess, you know, and then you'd ask yourself, I mean, the thing I kept for myself reading the book or making the movie, I'm like, what would I do? Mm-hmm. In a situation like this, well, I don't know. Do you give up or do you just keep going? And, and, and at what cost? At what point does the cost become not worth yeah. it? Yeah, right, right, right. So it just leaves you with a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the successes of this movie is that it personalizes it for its audience. It doesn't feel as if you're, again, watching something on screen. You're really trying to ask yourself and, and do some of that self-reflection of saying, man, I'm a dad. What would happen if my son went through this? Would I go right. to the links that this couple does? How would I respond? Would I blame my wife or would we start fighting and start, you know, these are, these are questions that can get played out. And I think your movie does an exceptional job of allowing us to sort of experience that yeah. with this couple. So it's really good. Well, Aaron, yeah. before we let him go or let you go, Tom, <laughs> nice. I was trying to work that in. It was terrible, but well done. 
<laughs> what we like to always do uh, with our interviews is we ask folks, uh, in keeping with the theme of our podcast, if you can indulge us, mm. we'd love to hear about a movie that has impacted you emotionally over the years, whether it was personal or led to career growth or any reason, really. Just a film that deeply resonated with you for some reason. Oh, my God. Well, th that's so unfair because there are 8 million, right? Sure, right? Um, but <laughs> I, I'm gonna share, I'm, I'll share one with you. Just this is so random. But it's a movie only because my sister and I were talking about it the other day. I'm old enough that when HBO first came out like it was it didn't even run all day long and you got a little pamphlet that was like this big that you you know it, that every month you'd see when the movies were on and you it was like a rite of passage to stay up till 10 o'clock at night when the r-rated movies came on and so I just remember the family room and the tv and the lights being off and seeing things you probably shouldn't see and this let him go feels to me a little like that like it's a little overheated and kind of too violent but a movie that my sister and i watched over and over and over again is called over the edge and it's matt dylan's first movie and it's about these teenage kids in this planned community of new granada in colorado that run amok and they end up holding all their parents hostage in the high school and it's got one of the best soundtracks like 70s soundtracks ever so i'm excited just to tell everybody to go see that movie that is the entire purpose that is fantastic yeah. answer no it's, great. it's great the kids are doing drugs and they've got guns and they're <laughs> smoking and it's awesome it's like red um, dawn only in reverse or something like right, right, a right, similar right. thing happens in the school in colorado but not yeah, that way yeah yeah anyway over the edge that's it awesome well tom thank you so much yeah. for joining us we love talking with you and if you guys get a chance to watch this movie it's available to own digitally now yes it's today. out there right yeah. now today as of january the 19th Mm -hmm. And it will be on Blu-ray and DVD on February the 2nd. So just a couple of weeks exactly. and you can yeah. purchase it. Do you happen to know, and you don't have to answer if you don't know, but do you yeah. know what kind of special features are on there? Is there a director's commentary? Oh, I do. There's um, there's not a commentary, but there's a thing on locations. Diane and Kevin talk about their characters and what drew them to it. And there's a lot of behind the scenes footage. Outstanding. Yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff that I love to get physical copies for. Well, that yeah, and yeah, yeah, always yeah. owning it. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Cool. Well, thank you again, Thomas, for joining us. We've enjoyed it. We are yeah. big fans and we are looking forward to whatever you do next as well. Terrific. Thanks so much, guys. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. But be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.